So we're in Matthew chapter 21, and um, we've been covering this chapter, we've been covering the book of Matthew slowly for a number of weeks now, and I'll just remind you that this whole chapter, this whole book, is about the King of Kings, Jesus the King of Kings, and Matthew consistently is trying to tell us that Jesus is the King better than all other kings, but he's also the King that you could never expect, because everything you want in a king and everything I want in a king is different from the kind of king Jesus actually is. We want a king who can be powerful and on our side. And Jesus is powerful, but he seems to be on the side of the weak people. He seems to be on the side of the losers. He seems to be on the side of the needy. And we don't want that so much in our earthly leaders. We want our earthly leaders to defend us, to make life better for us, not to make life better for our enemies or the people we look down on. And so Jesus constantly confronts us with the question of, are you going to follow him Or are you going to follow some idea of him? Are you going to follow the actual king who's a king of an upside-down kingdom that doesn't make a lot of sense to us the way we like to think about kingdoms? Or are you going to just simply follow your own version of him? Last week, we heard some of the scariest words in the book of Matthew. And it was the words when Jesus said to the fig tree that it should be cursed, and then the disciples saw as it withered away. We saw that last week. And you might see, well, what is the deal about the fig tree? Why is Jesus so mad at a fig tree? And it's because Jesus was using the fig tree as a physical parable, a physical experience of a spiritual truth that he was trying to point out. See, the fig tree had leaves on it, but no fruit. And the thing with figs is that whenever there are leaves, there's usually fruit. There's an early crop of fruit and there's a later crop of fruit. And the early crop of fruit always is there when the leaves are there. And so if you see leaves but you don't see fruit, that is a hypocrite fig tree. That is a fig tree with all the show of being something but none of the actual fruit of being something. And so when Jesus curses at the fig tree and tells it to wither, and it does, that is a judgment against all hypocrisy. And we know that because immediately before that, Jesus had a judgment on the temple area where the people were pretending to be religious, but they were keeping religion out. Jesus said this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, and they were doing business keeping the Gentiles out of the area where the Gentiles were allowed to pray. And so Jesus was upset at their racism for opposing the Gentiles. He was upset at the fact that they weren't making the temple what it was supposed to be. Bottom line, it wasn't a fruitful place anymore. It was the wrong place. It was just a religious place. And Jesus, when he sees a show of something with no fruit, that makes him mad. When he sees people who are the insiders keeping the outsiders out, that makes him mad. And so as a result, Jesus cursed at this fig tree because I think he's just got this latent frustration with the hypocrisy of the people in Jerusalem at the time. And I know that because the chapter stories we look at today, we're going to look at three stories that Jesus tells, and every single one of them carries on the story of the fig tree, the metaphor at least. Every single one of them is about someone who is a hypocrite, someone who is fake, someone who is fruitless, and a judgment that falls on them. This is a follow-up to some of the scary words of last week. There are more scary words today, but at the end there will be some encouraging ones. So hang in there with me. We begin not with the verse that we're going to start our passage with. We're going to begin all the way down in verse 43. 
I want to show it to you on the screen here because it is the verse that gives us the theme for the entire section we're looking at today. Jesus says in Matthew 21, 43, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Here is the scary truth. The kingdom of God is going to be kept from the fake and the fruitless. Those who are fake and fruitless will be kept away from the kingdom of God. Those who are fake and fruitless will be kept out of the kingdom of God. Now, of course, you might be sitting there worried. Am I a fruitless Christian? Am I a fake Christian? And if you're not worried, well, you should be, because these are scary words. The people who are religious but fake and fruitless will be kept from the kingdom. Okay, so let's go ahead and start at the beginning of our passage in verse 23. Here we go. It says this, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Now, they're not asking about his miracles, okay, because they, they already think his miracles came from Satan. They're now concerned about the authority he's showing by clearing out the temple, acting as if he's somehow in charge of or better than the temple. And that's the thing they're accusing him of because the previous day, that's what he did. They're saying, who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, well, I will always also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it of heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. I'm going to pause there for just a moment. Can you imagine religious leaders being afraid of the opinion of the people? Can you imagine religious leaders being concerned about what the people think of them, depending on what they say? It happens. So Jesus, so they answered Jesus, we don't know. Well, of course, you just don't want to say. Uh, they say, we don't know. Then he said, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons, and now we're in story mode. We're in story mode. Jesus says, there's a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son. Now he goes to the second son, of course, because the first son had said he wasn't going to do it. So now he's going to the second son. He says to the second son, said the same thing. He answered, I will. And he even says, sir. Just to throw in a little extra piece of, no, I really respect you, father. I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you. Now, if Jesus finished his sentence right there and stopped talking to them, that would have made them furious. I'm certain it made them furious anyway. But just think of it. Think of the worst person you can imagine. And Jesus says to you, that person's getting into heaven, but not you. Let's just go all the way. Let's say Jesus came up to you and he said, listen, Hitler's going to get into heaven before you do. Wouldn't that send you back a little bit? 
Wouldn't that you make, that'd make you mad at Jesus is what it would make you. Because you're like, there's no way that guy's getting in before me. There's no way that guy's getting in before me. And Jesus says that to them. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering. How? Now this is the first tip that something encouraging is going to happen later on in this passage. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. See, Jesus is saying that these terrible human beings are getting into heaven because they heard something John said and followed it. They heard something John said and turned their lives around and followed it. What is it that John said? Well, it just so happens that earlier in Matthew, we are told what John said to them. I'll put it up here. It says this, when he saw, this is John, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. See, the word that Jesus used back then to these, to these people, he, he said, you should have paid attention to John. And the word John used to these people was, you need to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Fruit. Okay, so here's the thing. When it comes to religious things and religious people, religion without fruit is called fake. Religion without fruit is called fake. Um, I want to tell you a little story. The first time I ever went to um, Hope Chapel Outreach here in Lafayette um, was quite an experience. I felt like an outsider. I felt uh, kind of fake in some ways. I felt like the marshmallow in Rocky Road ice cream. So, you know, it's good. Marshmallows are good in Rocky Road ice cream, but that's not the reason you got the ice cream. And um, that's, that's how I felt. And, and Hope Chapel Outreach is a church that is traditionally in this town um, populated by people with much darker skin tone than I have and much more flavor in their music than I have. And um, so the first time I went there, I was in the, in the middle of a three-hour-long uh, worship service, and the music was thumping, and it was awesome, and it was amazing. And I participated. Now, here's the thing. I was raised in a church where there was an organ and a piano. And if either one of them played too much rhythm, people would be getting upset. Because rhythm in the church just wasn't the thing that was happening when I was raised. I went to a college that outlawed dancing because dancing was too much rhythm in the human body and it could lead to all sorts of scary things. Um, and so I, I went to a college that outlawed dancing. So here I am, I'm in the middle of a church gathering and there's all kinds of dancing. I'm going to train you on some of the dancing that they do at Hope Chapel Outreach. And I'm certain at Greater Macedonia Church of God in Christ as well. And so um, some, of the, some of the dancing, it all begins, the easiest dancing for white folk is uh, the, the clappity dancing. That's dancing with your hands, okay? Now, I say it's easy, but it's not easy because most of you all have bad rhythm, 
when it comes to clapping on the beat. You're supposed to clap on beats two and four. So one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. That's how it goes. But if you're cool and you don't own a tambourine, you can do the clappity dancing. And that's when you, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And you do extra things. And it's like I'm watching people. I'm like, I know how to clap. I'm going to do this stuff. So I got into that. The second kind of dancing is the, um, the step sway, okay? The step sway. It's usually accompanied with some clapping, but it's the step sway. And the step sway is when the song is going really good and you just kind of back and forth. But you don't just step. You kind of you sway it one, two, three, four. And sometimes you're going to clap and stuff, but that's as far as I've gotten, I have to tell you. There's, there's a third type of dancing that I haven't, I haven't gotten into yet, and that is, that is what I'm calling the little stomps. Are you familiar with the little stomps? And I can't do it. I, can't, I mean, you saw what I just did. I can't do it. Um, so, so here's the deal. Every time I do those things, I feel a bit fake. But there's a big difference between feeling fake and being fake. See, the thing is, when I'm in that environment, I am worshiping God, and I'm not, I'm not doing the techniques that I was raised on because I'm in an environment that is completely different from the environment that I was raised in. And I'm with other people, and I'm worshiping together with them. And so when I'm swaying, that's not my natural bent. When I'm clapping offbeat just for the accent or, or on a 3-4 song, one, two, three, one, two, you know, I, that's, that's not exactly all my thing, but I'm in it, and I'm getting it, and I'm doing it. And every single time I do, it feels just a little bit fake, but it's not fake because it's real. It's just not good yet. It's real. It's just not good yet. Now, here's the thing. Jesus isn't talking about people who aren't good yet. He's talking about people who are fake. Look at that story of the guy, the son, the first son. The first son says to his dad, no, I'm not doing it. That's not fake. That's real. He's being entirely honest. He has no intention of doing what his dad asks him to do. He's being real, right? But then after that, he realizes that the kind of person he wants to be is the kind of person who does what his dad asks him to do. And so now he has a heart change and he realizes that the real version of himself is the version who does the obedience. And so when he does the obedience, he's also not being fake. Now, I've been in that place before where I told someone I wouldn't do it, and then my mind changed, and I then wanted to do it. And then when I did it, I felt fake because I had previously told them I didn't want to do it. That's not fake, even if it feels fake, because you've just changed who you wanted to be, a better understanding of who you wanted to be. And so you stepped into reality better. Now, the brother is fake because he says, I'll do it. He says, sir, I'll do it. And he has no intention of doing it. And he maintains the fakeness all the way through. And on top of it, one is fruitful, getting it done. And the other one is not, not getting it done. The fake and the fruitless is what Jesus is upset 
by. And it's that way in church. It's that way in our Christian lives. It's that way in all of these things. You might feel fake at some time, but that doesn't mean you are fake. Step into it sometimes. Let's keep going because Jesus is going to tell us a second story. It says this, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. What do you think? After they've mistreated all the servants, do you think they're going to respect the son? I find it interesting that the landlord, the landowner, has enough grace, enough patience, enough hope, enough optimism to send his son to them after they have destroyed his previous servants. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Wretched tenants. He's going to get rid of them and he's going to give the land to someone else. Here's one of the truths about the story. The tenants are completely replaceable. The people the landlord has in his property, on his property, those people are replaceable. Again, this is one of those scary times where Jesus is hinting that maybe the people who are in God's family, the people who are in God's kingdom, maybe God could even, receive, he could even view them as being replaceable. Keep going, because Jesus then says, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, previously in Matthew, I've gone into the Old Testament to read through all of these uh, passages. I actually did read through this passage a couple chapters ago when we were talking about John being in prison. But I just wanted to highlight here that Jesus has talked about a son who was rejected. And now he immediately shifts to an Old Testament passage about a stone that is rejected. And that stone is going to be the capstone or cornerstone of the kingdom of God. Jesus is basically saying, now let's just get this straight. I am the Son of God. You are rejecting me. I am going to be the king, establishing the kingdom. It's going to be built on me. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of this stone situation. See what he says next. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests... And the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables. They knew he was talking about them. 
They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd again because the people held that he was a prophet. They were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. I have a little thought. Go back to the parable of the landlord and all those servants. At the end of sending all those servants, he sent his son, right? Here's the question. If the people had responded properly to the son, would they have been kicked off the land? If the people had responded properly to the son, would they have been considered wretched and destroyed? If the people had responded properly to the son, would they not have been forgiven for all their previous transgressions? I mean, that's the reason the landlord sent his son. The landlord sent the son because he thought maybe they will respect the son and if they do what they're supposed to do with the son, I don't have to punish them for all the other stuff they've done. If they just had responded properly to the son. You know, here's the scary thing. Jesus is basically saying there is a fruit problem in this world, and there is a fruit problem in your life. And if you don't bear the fruit, you could be kicked out of the kingdom. Now, I've met a lot of people who are worried and scared about losing their salvation. They're like, I know I prayed a prayer when I was a kid, but I'm afraid that all the stuff that I've done in my life is going to cause me to lose my salvation. I want to pause there for just a moment and remind you that it never was your salvation. It has never been your salvation. It is always God's salvation. And God is always the God who will say, so you killed another one of my messengers. Well, how about my son?" God is always the one who will send the Son, but the Son is the last one that gets sent. The Son is the last straw. The Son is the last opportunity. And so how you respond to the Son changes everything about everything that came before it. You could be fruitless in your life, but if you respond properly to the Son, everything changes. In fact, Jesus himself said that. I want to show you this verse. It's an incredibly encouraging verse from the book of John. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's the promise. All you need to do is be stuck to the sun and the fruit will come. You just need to have the right relationship with the sun and the fruit will come. I know a lot of people are worried, you know, well, if if I'm not fruitful enough, will God kick me out of the kingdom? That's the wrong question. The right question is, am I stuck to the sun? Am I responding properly to him? Jesus tells us the third story in this section. And it it communicates the same basic principle as the previous stories we've seen and the fig tree. And so I want to finish up with that one. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Again, the son is preeminent in this study. 
a wedding banquet for his son, he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who've been invited that I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready, come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite, the banquet, invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? He calls him friend. I think that's interesting. The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is an interesting story because it's got people who were the insiders, people who were invited. They were invited to this wedding banquet of the sun. They were invited, but they chose not to come because they had other things to do, because life was more convenient the way they wanted to do it than on the schedule of this king. And so they're doing their own things. But the king says, fine, I'm done with those people. I'll wipe them out. I'll get anyone. And so he says, get anyone. Anyone who's willing to come in can come in. Just invite them all. Anyone who's willing to come in can come in. But somehow there's one guy, and he shows up, but is also completely disrespectful. He shows up to a wedding banquet for the son of the king, but he's wearing some shabby stuff. Now, this is not a passage trying to tell you that you need to dress up fancy for church. This is a passage that is trying to say that if you are invited, that doesn't necessarily mean that you deserve to be there. Just because you're invited doesn't mean you deserve to be there. Whether you deserve to be there or not depends on whether you respond properly to the sun. Whether you respond properly to the sun. So, I want to give you a way to take this home. There are these three different stories we've looked at. And there's this scary phrase that says the fruitless and the fake will be kept out of the kingdom. That's a very scary idea. But I want to draw it together with these three different stories to just give you some bullet points on how to package this, this section up into your heart. And here it is. First of all, you need to realize that there are three things that are evidence of being fake. There are three stories, and so we have three pictures of the fake and the fruitless. And the first thing that we find that is fake and fruitless is when a person has words without action. Words without action from that first story. The one son is fake and fruitless because of words without action. In the second story, we get a picture of those who are hoarding the blessings. The landlord has given all these blessings to them, and then he says, now I want you to return back to me the harvest. I want you to send the fruit back to me. And they say, no, we want to keep it for ourselves. 
And so we'll reject your servants, we'll reject your son because we want all the blessings for ourselves. Hoarding the blessings for yourself without sharing them or returning them is another fake and fruitless thing to do. And then in the third story, ignoring God when it's not convenient for you. So God is inviting me to something, but God, I just don't have time right now. I'm in the middle of this game. God, I don't have time right now. I'm in the middle of this project at work. God, I don't have time right now. I just want to take a nap. I mean, you can have all kinds of convenience excuses, but it's an example of being fake and fraudulent when he has invited you to a wedding feast and you say, eh, just not now. You know, one of these days I might get around to it. If these things are true for you, then you're fake and you're fruitless and you don't get into the kingdom of heaven. However, there's some good news. Because in each of these stories, there's also the picture of something that is not fake and something that is fruitful. Here we go. In the first story, there's eventual repentance. The first son in the story, he eventually repents. I know some of you might be thinking, okay, I'll get around to repentance one of these days. One of these days, I'll get around to repentance. And I want to say, your eventual is today. Your eventual is now. Today is the day you get to say, I no longer want to be the guy who says to the the king of the universe, I'm not interested. I want to be the person who actually engages the process and does the work. I want to be that person who's in with the king. You can make that decision today. It's called repentance. It means turning your heart and your life around and saying, God, I'm coming back to you. Number one, the way to be authentic and fruitful, repentance. Number two, receive the son. You might have rejected all of God's messengers before, but today's the day. Receive the Son. God says, listen, you might have just killed everyone that I've sent in your direction, but as long as you respond properly to my Son, as long as you respond properly to my Son, then all is forgiven. Today's your day. You could receive the Son and say, Jesus, I want you in my life, and I never want to reject you ever again. Or thirdly, You could respond rightly to the invitation. See, God has invited you to a heavenly kingdom, a heavenly banquet, a heavenly family. And you can respond. And there are lots of people who will coalesce. But just because someone shows up doesn't mean they're in. God will invite everybody. But it's only those who respond appropriately to the Son. It's only those people who respond properly to the invitation. And so today, today's a day for you to respond appropriately and properly. In just a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion together. Communion is when Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, took bread from the Passover meal And he gave it to his followers and he said, this bread is my body which is broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And see, the disciples, they knew. 
that Jesus was standing right in front of them. They weren't actually eating his fingers and toes. He was standing in front of them, handing them bread, but he said it was his body, and so they're confused. And they're like, what is this all about? Well, not not so much upon reflection, because during the Passover meal, the bread was supposed to remind them of the fact that God was going to take care of them no matter what. They spent ages in the wilderness where God miraculously rained bread down from heaven, Jesus would call himself the bread of life. Jesus would say man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And John calls Jesus the word of God. And so Jesus himself says this bread is now all about me. Eat it in remembrance of me. And the idea is that the disciples are supposed to take it and eat it and think about Jesus as their nourishment. Jesus as the fulfillment of all of God's promises. In the same way, after dinner, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. And the idea there was Jesus was saying, okay, so you've celebrated the Passover for all of these centuries. And the Passover was about sacrificing a lamb and taking the lamb's blood and putting it on the door frame of your house so that the angel of death would pass by that house. And Jesus says, now, new thing. Grape juice, not blood, for you. Because the blood is now coming from me. Jesus says, I'm going to be that new lamb. I'm going to be the one to sacrifice my life so that my blood can be spread on the wood and you can be spared. You can be saved. Communion is a reenactment of all of God's promises to the old people of Israel being fulfilled in Jesus on into the future for you and for me. And so I invite you. In just a few moments, we're going to sing a song. The song is just redirecting our hearts to God. The song is, it says, yours. All the praise is yours. You're the one that we adore. It's, a, it's directing our hearts towards God. And as we're singing that song, I invite you to come forward. Just grab one of the little sets of two cups. You can stay up here in the front and spend some time in prayer or kneel down. You can go back to your seat and eat the cracker and drink the grape juice back there at your seat. You can stay around here somewhere. You can kneel down if you want. This is your time to respond to the gift and the promise of God, to launch us into being individual people who are not fake, but fruitful with our lives. It begins by responding properly to the Son, and all who do are forgiven for all of the other stuff they have failed to do. So today, we come before our Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus, we receive these elements of communion and receive Jesus into our lives all over again. Let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.